0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Samuel Adams, Brewing the American Dream. Hear stories from their inspiring entrepreneurs on Let's Talk About Food, wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, a man on a never-ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series, where I engage in interesting conversations some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. Well, welcome to Pizza Quest and welcome back. And today I have a very special guest, joining us from, I assume you're in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right? The I,
3: I believe that I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan.
1: Yes. The home of many things, but but for our purposes, the most important thing to the home of is zingerman's and zingerman's bakehouse and we're with amy emberling who is the managing partner of zingerman's and one of the founding you're really one of the founders of the bakehouse aren't you
3: well not really i mean i was here right at the beginning um in 1992 but i was an hourly employee and frank carollo who happily retired a year and a half ago he really started the bakery but i was here at the beginning so
1: You, you were there at the beginning and by hanging in there you're now you you kind of like like our yes. yeast have risen to the top there
3: <laughs> yeah yeah it's amazing i can't believe it. i was 26 30 years ago i i did not think i would still be here but you know and you it's never know. maybe
1: one of the reasons one of the occasions for us having this conversation is it's like the 30th anniversary of zingerman's yes. and yes. that's amazing so, yeah. so for there there are probably very few people watching who don't know about zingerman's but for the sake of those who don't and by the way uh, you know, I see that you're standing in the bakehouse itself uh, with yeah. lots of, you know, breads behind you. But there are people yeah. that are listening to this podcast um, on the audio version, not the visual. So they're not going to have the benefit of seeing everything that we're seeing while we're watching you. So every once in a while, I'll kind of describe what those of us who are on the video side can are seeing. But uh, Amy, tell us a little bit first about, you know, Zingerman's Bakehouse and and maybe just that whole story. and And then your story. We want to hear about, you know, how you kind of ended up uh, finding this 30 years ago and finding, in a sense, you know, your your path in life.
3: Sure. Happy to, Peter. And thanks so much for um, having me. So I, I want to tell the sort of story of Zingerman's because Zingerman's Bakehouse is actually the second Zingerman's business. The first Zingerman's business was Zingerman's Delicatessa, and it started in 1982. And oh. it was uh, founded by Paul Saginaw and Ari Weinzwein. Oh. Uh, So the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of Zingerman's Deli was on March 15th of this year. Amazing. Um, Right. So Paul and Ari started the deli. They both have Jewish heritage. They had this vision of making, you know, classic deli sandwiches that were so juicy that the juice would run down your arm as you were eating it. Uh, And they bought uh, bread from a local bakery in a, a, a suburb of Detroit called Oak Park. Mm -hmm. and when they were 10 years into the deli they were trying to figure out what do they want to do next and a lot of people said oh you should you know you should franchise you should open up delis all over the place and we have the good fortune that we are um we're in the same town as university of michigan so a lot of people leave town and then they say will you please open up where you know where they live now in arkansas or missouri wherever it happens to be so anyway Polinari. So they are very unique and visionary people, and they decided to create what they call Zingerman's Community of Businesses, Mm. and that was to give opportunity to local people who had a passion about a particular food to open up a food business that would be in Ann Arbor, that would uh, have a managing partner that's really an owner in the business. Usually, the artisan themselves would be the owner, and and the businesses had were supposed to have some synergy. So bread made a lot of sense because at that time, sixty percent of all the transactions at the Delicatessen included bread. So that's when the founder of the Bakehouse and my original partner Frank Carollo, decided that they would open up a bakery. And so in 1992, um, that's when Zingerman's Bakehouse started.
1: So the so the bakery came along, and and, and were you able to? Well, first of all, as you said, when you started, you were just working the line. You weren't, uh, you know, really running the show. So were you an experienced baker at that time or did you learn on the job?
3: I had baked in a restaurant and I had gone to cooking school for seven months. And that was in 1991. And where I went, all that you did in baking was, uh, you know, sort of yeasted things was about two days. But I had baked bread in a restaurant. I had some sense of it and I had baked, I had made desserts. I was more of a, a, a pastry person, but no, I learned a tremendous, I learned here and then take subsequently taking classes. But you know, when I came, I, when I found out that the bakery was opening, I, uh, I thought, Oh, that's kind of interesting, but I'd never really had an incredible passion about bread. But thinking about talking to you today, I thought about, you know, how did I feel back then? And I, <laughs> realized that it was it was it really was gripping because although on the surface people might think oh it's the you know it's just these four ingredients you do the same thing over and over again it's just different proof times different proportions I realized very early on that it was just incredibly fascinating and that you could just go deeper and deeper and deeper and learn more every day so uh that's that sounds familiar.
1: That that part of the story <laughs> sounds very familiar because it's this never-ending rabbit hole of learning. Right, okay. yeah.
3: right, absolutely. And I'm sure if that is not a unique story, I know it's about your, part of your story. I imagine, and I'm sure most bakers, artisan bakers, have a very similar story.
1: But the timing was amazing. That the that the the timing of the creation of the bakery because it coincided with the emergence of the uh, artisan baking renaissance in this country for sure and really globally. Uh, so you guys were right at the, you know, sort of uh, on, on the on the doorstep of, of that explosion of artisanship and baking that, uh, you know, and, and were part of the contribution of, I don't know, the growing passion for bread.
3: Absolutely, but it wasn't by accident, Peter. So Ari wide, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, he was traveling all over the country. And he had, uh, as the story goes, because I wasn't there, he uh, had been in San Francisco for about two weeks Mm. and he came back to town and Frank met with him. Uh, Frank was leaving some position that, well, a business that he had owned. And he said, hey, Ari, they were friends. I'm about to go work at this other place that I won't bore anyone with the name. But, you know, if you ever want to do anything together, let me know. And Ari said, you know, I was just in San Francisco. And I ate bread from, you know, may have been as many as 10 different great bakeries. Uh And I can't get the people here to even try to make it. How about we open up a bakery together? So Ari was out there and tasting. And that's one of the things that Zingerman's is known for is doing research, finding things. I mean, it's a lot easier today than it was then. And so that's one of the reasons we've also started. Well, that, the
1: that's exactly when I had my bakery in the San Francisco Bay area as well. I wonder if mine was one of the 10 breads that he tasted. It would be, that would kind of close the loop for me if that was true.
3: Yeah, that would be amazing. I will ask Ari uh, if that be,
1: was the case. Ask him he, when he was out there, if he tried Brother Juniper's bread, it wasn't, we weren't doing crusty hearth breads, we were doing soft sandwich bread, but inventive creative breads. It was part of what I call the neo-traditional uh, side uh-huh. of the bread boom and uh and yeah because i didn't want to compete up against all the sourdough companies in san francisco because there were so many of them already and right. acme was just coming on so some of these other right. you know, great bakeries uh semi freddies acme you name it um right. so i wanted to have grace. my own niche that was unique grace baking yeah and right. san francisco really was the epicenter i think of the american artisan baking movement or the bread movement anyway uh yeah. but it, but it took off and and uh And I know that uh, I'm sure that in Ann Arbor at that time, there probably weren't too many artisan community bakeries.
3: There were, there wasn't a single, well, there had been one, uh, but it had closed. Uh And then as Frank told me, you know, he was always, he thought, maybe we'll have a year and a half before someone else opens up. But it was at least a decade before anyone at even nearby opened up. So, um, now there are more and it's great. Uh, and actually since the pandemic, there are many more sort of people doing it on a micro level and people ask me, is that a problem? No, I think it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. The more people who eat this kind of bread, the better the, everybody's you know, then you have more people out in the community, educating people about the, why it's great. That's right. Um, so, so I'm happy the more, the more the merrier.
1: Well, you, you guys, uh, in addition to creating the bakery and growing, You know, the the various types of breads that you were doing are also instrumental in helping other people learn how to bake bread, weren't you? Don't you do classes and and things like that? Yes,
3: right. So 15 years ago, we decided, you know, it was sort of a funny story. We rented, we leased some space and put it under our lease for another Zingerman's business to move Uh into. And Uh that business, they changed their mind. So all of a sudden, yeah, oh, they were very kind. They paid rent for six months. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well,
1: that like, gave you a running start.
3: Yeah. Yes. And so we had 2,500 square feet that we thought, what are we going to do with this now? And, uh, you know, we had, Zingerman's is really into educating, educating ourselves, educating the community. And so we thought, why don't we build a classroom and really teach people what we know? Um, and so that's what we did. And so that was 15 years ago. We now have two classrooms plus a lot of virtual classes. It's really been one of the biggest joys of the bakery, uh, being able to share with people.
1: So the classes continue on uh, now and into the future. If somebody's interested in in coming out for a class, how do they find out about it?
3: Just go online to bakewithzing.com. Just like it sounds. Because you you guys
1: get to play with that zing thing a lot. You you got zing train, you got bake with zing. Zing, uh,
3: yeah, it's maybe a little overused, but well, where did uh, that
1: name come from, Zingerman? Is that who was who was Zingerman?
3: <laughs> no one was Zingerman, yeah. so it was Ari. So but the founders didn't have great last names. I'm gonna move because I've been holding this in my arm the whole oh, time. Oh gosh,
1: I'm sorry. And, yeah,
3: you... No, no, no. And although I,
1: uh, I love I love the fact I as you're moving through the bay, I love seeing the activity yeah. behind you and all that equipment. I can almost yeah, smell the
3: so Right now we can watch while I'm on. We're near the end of the day here, so it's not uh-huh. that much activity. Um, so Ari wife was one founder. Wineswife, not a good name for a business. Nobody can say it. Nobody can spell it. The other uh, founder, Paul Saginaw. Um, Saginaw, there's a, there's a city in, a, in Michigan named Saginaw. Yeah, so that yeah. might have been confusing to people. And it also doesn't sound particularly Jewish, and it was supposed to be a Jewish jelly. <laughs> so they were, they were actually going to name it Greenbergs. But huh? uh, I don't know if it was. It was soon before they opened. They got a call from someone in Detroit who said, look, I already have that name. I already yeah. have this sign made. Please don't choose it. So uh, Paul said yeah, that there's his, a famous
1: Greenberg's Bakery, I think, in, uh, in New York. too. I mean, it's the, yeah, you would have gotten a lot of uh, a lot of lawsuits, probably. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, so intellectual property. It's sort of an annoying thing. Nobody um, is in
1: Zingerman's, right? You came it with the with the no. name.
3: Yeah. Right. So they made it up, and Paul's uh, grandfather told him this was in the time of phone books. Choose an A name or a Z name, so it's easy that's for right. people.
1: That's so right.
3: They, yeah. So and they thought Zingerman sounded kind of Jewish, but it was energetic, and that's what happened.
1: Well, I know as Zingerman's, you know, uh, fame and reputation grew up in the '80s and '90s. Uh, you know, one of the things that people associated with Zingerman's uh, would hear about it is these guys are such brilliant marketing people. You know, I I never tasted their their pastrami on rye, which I hear is legendary, but at the same time, it's such a cool place. Just the name alone, you know, they, all these these sort of brilliant marketing ideas just seem to be flowing out of you know out of the founders and the and the team that was running it. Uh, I met Ari back in the '90s at a conference, and he was doing a presentation on you know, how he was sourced out. I think at the time he was introducing some bacon or something like that. And people were going, what do you mean bacon at Zingerman's? You know, it, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's the point is that he was, just, he was carving his own path and it was pretty cool.
3: Yes. And he continues to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. But one thing I want to say here, that's really important to me. That is that all of these things that you see, they're coming from everybody's heart and personal creativity. There's no, it's not, um, you know, when people talk about, they came up with this concept for this yeah. restaurant or, and that's okay. That's a form of, that's a very successful form of business, but nothing here was created by a PR firm or a bunch of strategists. Um, it's really it kind of people's heart
1: and soul. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it all kind of grew organically, so to speak. Yes. Uh, was yes. There, and, and, and so and when we come back in part two, I want to hear more about that Zingerman's vision you know and philosophy of business because sure. it, because that's marketable as well a lot of people I think you've if I'm not mistaken you've offered seminars and courses yeah. on on that the vision behind Zingerman's and yeah. and that's in its own right a yeah. uh, a very valuable tool for people to hear about so and then we of course also want to hear maybe before we take uh, go to break uh maybe could you show us a little bit of what the product some of the products that you're making there today are
3: Yeah, sure. I'm actually going to take us into uh, our sorting room, and we can see uh, we have a lot of breads that were made during the day today. So, right behind me.
1: A nice rack of bread behind you. With I see uh, hearth loaves there, some with with, uh, uh, seeds on top, yeah.
3: Yep. Yeah. That is, uh, you know, what I think we've probably seen in a lot of different uh, bakeries, eight grain, three seed. Uh, You know, it was from a particular time, but uh, lots of customers still like it. That's one of the challenges, Peter, is that even though we may want to evolve things, we first don't always want to evolve things. Right. Uh, Right there. We have some San. what we call better than San Francisco sourdough, because we got into a little bit of an intellectual property uh, disagreement with a company in San Francisco. And Paul, who's very funny said, how about if I call it better than San Francisco sourdough? (laughs) And they said, that's fine. So that's what we call
1: (laughs) it. So you put another word in front of sourdough and and you can call it your own. Uh, Well, that's interesting because, uh, you know, yeah, people used to really associate sourdough bread with San Francisco. But now, because lo and behold, we found out you can make sourdough bread really anywhere. Then, yes. uh, so everybody's got a sourdough now, but San Francisco still, you know, claims claims sort of being the forefather of it all. What's yes. that loaf are like, just uh, holding in your hand? It looks like yeah. Almost-
3: I want to show you a better one of it. So this is what we call true north. And why I wanted to show you that one is because we're really making. I mean, we've made an effort right from the beginning of buying local grain and from small millers. At the beginning, when we opened, way back in 92, there was a mill in Ann Arbor called the Daily Grind. And they got some of the grain that was grown locally uh, in and milled it. Some of it obviously came from different parts of the country, but this grain, this bread was um, created with Michigan grain um, that was milled uh, by someone in the Leelanau Peninsula originally. Now, um, he he didn't make it. it's a difficult thing that we're yeah. all trying to do, right? And so right now we've been buying from Janie's Mill, which I'm sure you've probably heard about in Southern Illinois. Have you heard okay, of it? Okay, yes.
1: I've heard of it, but I don't know those folks. But I know that they're part of like a, you know, kind of a growing coalition of, of regional mills that, uh, you know, are, are sourcing locally, milling and in, in small batches specialty batches. And uh, yeah. it's, it's one of the... I'd see one of the exciting aspects of what's happened in the artisan bread and baking movement.
3: Yes, recently. Okay, I got to find you some Jewish rye because Zingerman's Bakehouse had to make Jewish rye right had from to. the beginning. Yeah,
1: absolutely, you no.
3: had to. So here's a nice loaf. Oh, yeah, looking, classic
1: looking rye bread.
3: Classic looking rye bread.
1: You it, is it? Is you, I guess you couldn't call it New York rye bread, or somebody from New York would get mad. So you have to call it better than New York rye bread.
3: <laughs> and but you know that the New Yorkers wouldn't have put up with that. Maybe no. the San Francisco was a little; they were a little more chill. Okay, you can call it better than San Francisco, but the New Yorkers they yeah. would have fought so.
1: exactly. So, so uh, t- just again, we're just about uh, ready to go to break. So, uh, just tell me about that rye bread because again, uh, that maybe one of the signature products of Zingerman's. Um, yeah. What makes Happy it? To. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, like how much rye flour, what percentage of rye flour is in there? Are there? Are there? The big question is: is it made with caraway seeds or without caraway seeds? And
3: yes, okay, I I can't tell you the percentage of rye flour. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I will tell you it's not enormous because this rye bread is based on the rye bread that was made at the turn of the nineteenth to twentieth century in the Lower East Side of New York. Uh-huh. And they were already using a lot of white flour. Yeah. Uh, so the rye flour that's in it, we actually mill it ourselves. Here's one of our mills.
1: Oh, I see you mill it. Yeah.
3: Our, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. Yep. So um, the rye sa- the rye flour is in the sour. So we make a ah. rye sour, and we also, and the other ingredient that I think is kind of unique to the bread of that time is what we refer to in the bakery as old. So I see this bucket here. It's a bucket of rye bread.
1: A bucket of oh. You mean like ba- baked rye bread that are going into a bucket that's what going to be soaked so and ground.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so we bake rye bread every day so that we can take it, slice it, add water to it, make a little mush and call it old and then it's one of the ingredients in that's- the rye.
1: That's like a classic German technique: is to is to put soaked <laughs> bread back into the into the dough. And, yeah. Uh, and I know some of the people who are watching it, you know, know that, but not everybody. Very few bakers know about that trick. And I'm glad to hear. So uh, that that you make it with a sourdough starter. Do you? Is it kind of a combination of sourdough and yeast, or just all sourdough?
3: No, it's it's a rye sour that, um, and then some commercial yeast. Definitely.
1: Yeah, which is, yeah. Again, it sounds like it's essentially really a, uh, a a tribute to the East Coast, New York style rye breads, which are very light in area. They're not heavy, dense rye breads that are more common in Germany and are starting to get maybe more popular in the United States as people are f- falling in love with rye and the old school, old world style. But this is right. New York style, really, and uh, and, yeah. and and it's probably, and my my experience maybe 20 to 25 percent rye and 75 percent you know white flour wheat flour yes because people really don't as much as they 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 want to say they love rye bread what they really like is is all the cool stuff that goes on rye bread and they want that bread to be soft and 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 creamy tasting you know
3: yes exactly and and so i think what i was told was that this bread is based on what the Polish Jewish bakers of Mm -hmm. the Lower East Side were making. That, you know, there were differences depending on where people came from. Yes, And we actually learned this bread. Do you know Michael London?
1: Yes, sure. Michael London from from upstate New York.
3: Right, so Michael uh, was like our mentor. Uh, That's a long story that we can go into if you want to, but Michael taught us how to make this bread. Uh, And Michael, the way Michael talks about most bread that's like this, he'd say, it's like they take a, a handful of rye and they wave it over the top <laughs> of the bread. <laughs> Michael is a hilarious guy. That's uh, exactly, so that's, that's a great, one. sorry,
1: yeah. Well, my, yeah, Michael, again, very important baker uh, in this in the early stages of this bread renaissance in America. Yes, So, yes. Well, well, that's a, a great little sneak preview and taste of, of the bench. shop. Let, why don't we take a, a short break? We'll come back in part two here more about the Zingerman's philosophy, I want to hear more about what you do as the managing, you know, partner of, of the of the bakehouse. And uh, and also, I want to hear about some of the, the signature products that you helped create and get on the menu at Zingerman's. Like, yeah. like I, know you, I think uh, the old, what is it, old school apple pie? Apple pie, yeah. Like
3: yeah. There's,
1: there's certain products that, that you know, were your creations. I want to hear a little bit about that as well. So okay. why don't we come back? We'll take a short break now. Uh, those of you who are watching, we're with Amy Emberling of Zingerman's Bakehouse. Uh, we'll be back in part two in just a second.
2: I'm Louisa Caston, host of Let's Talk About Food. I recently hosted an exciting live podcast event in Boston and interviewed incredible women entrepreneurs who have received small business coaching from the Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream program. When I was applying to law school and I got in, I said, you know what? I'm still young, let me pivot and go into the food industry and really follow my passion. I was kind of scared, it was a new thing to me, it was like, hey, I don't want me in the newspaper, I just want to be in my room, in my house. (laughs) So that was when I'm like, okay, now that I'm in the local newspaper, I better not disappoint the people that... (laughs) you know, that have this belief in me. And on the days that you're tired or you feel defeated, just keep going. And 10 people might tell
1: you no, but that doesn't mean that's your end result. You just have to keep going.
2: Hear their stories on Let's Talk About Food, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again to Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream for supporting this episode.
1: We're back on Pizza Quest with Amy Emberling of Zingerman's Bakehouse in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, I, I would wish I could take a live poll right now of the people who are listening, how many of you have actually been to Zingerman's? I have not been to Ann Arbor, uh, regrettably, since 1970, 71 was my last time. There was no Zingerman's there. There was, there was nobody named Zingerman then, of course. Uh, but, and so I never got to experience Zingerman's, but I've, been, but I've experienced it vicariously through products that have been sent to me and uh, and by going to workshops where Ari and other people from Zingerman's were talking and showing us the things, but uh, I've always wanted to go there. And it's funny because you think, you know, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of reason to go to Ann Arbor, except that would be the reason to go, you know, and that, right. that's an amazing accomplishment in itself to create, have created something that is a destination site for foodies of, you know, of all types.
3: We would love if you came, Peter. We'd show you a good time.
1: I would love to come. Maybe uh, maybe uh, participate in one of your classes or something sometime. Yeah, that could yeah, be maybe, maybe not. that could be the reason. We'll, we'll make it happen. But uh, okay. but I but uh, thank you. In part one, you were telling us Amy not only about some of the the breads and the stories, and, and you were showing us that rye bread, that that uh, sort of New York style rye bread, and also um, the better than San Francisco sourdough bread, and all the types of breads that you're doing. But you do other products besides breads as well. And uh, and if I'm not mistaken, you, you uh, had a hand in developing some of those products from the beginning.
3: Yes, yes. We also have a pastry kitchen, and we also do decorated cakes. Uh, and we have a little kitchen that makes soups and different sandwiches and things for our retail shop. So, uh, so make-
1: b- before you go into all those products, how much of the product that you make is actually used in Zingerman's at your own shops, and how much of it kind of goes out to Accounts and clients, uh, either in the area or even around the country, in mail order okay. or whatever.
3: Yeah, so I would say that 45 of the bread that we bake is uh, used or sold to a Zingerman's business. The rest is to wholesale customers, restaurants, grocery stores. Um, so that I mean, kind
1: of. That was- I'm saying that makes you one of the major bread suppliers of- in the whole area. Then.
3: I think so. I think so. Yes. Yeah, of a particular style, not, you know, soft. And there's some really, there's a bakery, uh, Michigan Bread, that's doing a lot of rolls and things. So, you know, it's kind of nice. People have their specialties.
1: Do you do fancy breads like, like chocolate babka and things like that?
3: We do. So we do, we make a chocolate babka and we're about to introduce this September. No one knows about it, so you you have Ooh, the scoop. Here. We're breaking the
1: story right here.
3: It's called Eve's <laughs> apple Bobka. Uh, sweet Ooh. temptation from the Garden of Ann Arbor.
1: Um, <laughs> so so, so guess, that, it sounds awesome. But I'm guessing it's going to be like like an apple pie filling with with streusel. Topic? Yes,
3: yes, Ro- roasted apples. It's quite Ooh. it's quite delicious. Walnuts. You know, it's, we're making it particularly for the. Um, for Rosh Hashanah and the Jewish New Year, so we'll sell it only in September. And uh, that's
1: great. That's great. Well, babka, babka is kind of in its own renaissance phase right now. People yeah. are obsessed with babka.
3: Don't you find that funny?
1: Well, it, it seems like if you want to know what's going to be big, then you go, you want to you want to look back 60, 80 years. What was, what was big back then, and then make a prediction that it's going to come back because certain things just. You know, or so good that they need to come back.
3: <laughs> yeah. I I just thought when it really started making a big splash about five years ago, I, and mainly bakers younger than me, I thought, wow, this is kind of funny, like big deal, babka. But you know what? It was new to them. And so there was a lot of excitement. And that was great. And they brought it to another level and re you know, invigorated people's interest in it. So it's good. At the beginning I was a little
1: I know, but you know, people love coffee cake. And yes. so and babka really is Absolutely. just glorified coffee cake with a great Absolutely. backstory.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Uh, yes. And speaking of coffee cake, didn't you, you created something I think called gingerbread, was it uh, gingerbread coffee cake?
3: Yes, yes, yes. That's so my Yes, we still, we make it every year from sort of, I'd say, December through February. And uh, it started because my husband loves gingerbread and it was one of the sort of family things that we would do on a, you know, Michigan gets kind of cold, a cold yeah. winter Sunday. How about some gingerbread and whipped cream? And then I thought, well, why don't we do it at the bakery? You know, I'm sure he's not the only one who loves gingerbread. So that was the beginning. But what we try to do here, and it's with the help, you know, it's nothing. The main point I want to make about product development at Zingerman's, which I mean, you would know better than I how it works in a lot of other places, but it's not about an individual here. It's usually someone has an idea and mm-hmm. then someone, you know, might be them, might be someone else who takes the first stab at it. And then everybody starts talking about it and saying, well, what should we do next? And so I don't, no one here really takes credit for a particular thing. Maybe you could take credit for saying, yeah, we should do this, mm-hmm. but it's really a group effort. So. I'm a little, you know, we're pretty, uh, we're very collaborative and, uh, maybe a little hippie. And so,
1: but you have in in the name of your, uh, your expanded operation, the Zingerman community of businesses, community is a, is a key word for the Zingerman's brand.
3: Yes, absolutely. And being in the community, caring about the community, trying to make a good community in the workplace is all like a huge, uh, part of, of our culture. Um, so food is first, but you know community service is is right up there.
1: Well, tell us a little bit more about the Zingerman's community of businesses because the Bakehouse was was what was was it the first of the of the sort of constellation of businesses? Uh, we spoke was, about yeah. in, a, in a recent uh, episode with uh, 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 Ji-Hai Kim, who has uh, a restaurant within the community. Right? A, a, uh, what would you call it? A, a reinvented. Uh, uh, Korean-style restaurant?
3: Right. I mean, it's really traditional Korean food and and dishes that you don't see in many. I mean, there are now Korean restaurants in some of the major American cities that are serving more traditional food, but that's exactly what Jihei does. I mean, a lot of dishes, there are regional dishes all over South Korea that um, she's featuring. So uh, Zingerman's is, you know, we say that we have three bottom lines. I mean, we do. We have three bottom lines. It's not lip service. They're great food, great service, and then great finance. I will tell you that when I first, uh, so I was here from 92 to 96 at the bakery. And then I left town for four years. My husband was a graduate student and he had finished his PhD at Michigan. And so we left and I thought I would never be back. Four years later, uh, they needed another partner at the bakery and they said, why don't you come back? And so we, we chose to come back. Why did I get off on that? That was a good one. Uh, Oh, and so when I returned here, this is the connection. Yeah. Uh, I had been in, I had gone to business school. Uh, and when I returned, it was very clear to me that like profit was almost a dirty word at Singerman's. So when we <laughs> say, and I couldn't believe it, like, come on guys. I mean, I grew up in a family business. I had just gone to business school. It's like, it's okay to make money as okay long as it's okay to make money. But that, generally I would say that we care about service and food first. And then we try to make enough money to just stay in business. But, so we care about, we make traditional food. There are 11 businesses now. Uh, Uh Zing Train, which teaches our business practices, is the only non-food related business. Um, Zing
1: Train is an actual business that people can buy, basically buy the training for how to do business?
3: Yes, how we do business. So we just share. It's like open source. We've been doing, we've been, Zing Train uh, became a business and I think around 1994. So long before people were talking about open source. So we just share everything that we do. And it's like, you know, go for it. We, you know, if you could do it too, wonderful. Let's, uh, let's all try to do business this way. Anyone who's interested. So we have a mail order business. We have a uh, Zingerman's creamery that makes fresh cheese and gelato. We have a coffee roasting business with a cafe uh, we have an event space, mainly weddings, but also corporate things called Zingerman, uh, Zingerman's Cornman Farm. Um, Zingerman's Mail Order, which ships all of our food all over the country. So, And they make some of the things that they're shipping. Uh, Zingerman's Delicatessen, obviously. Oh, and I can't forget Zingerman's Roadhouse, which is an all-American restaurant that serves mm-hmm. sort of traditional di- dishes from across the
1: country. Oh, fantastic. So
3: those are some of them.
1: Now, does that mean that each one of these businesses... Has an operating partner who essentially owns that part piece of the owns their own operation. It's not run by some some corporate team at the Zingerman's headquarters that's telling you all what to do.
3: Absolutely, yes. None of us would tolerate.
1: (laughs) It's not going to work for you. Sixties refugees, you
3: know. Exactly. (laughs) No, I mean, actually, someone's daughter used to come to the bakery with them occasionally when she was about seven, and we'd give her a clipboard, and we called her her nickname was corporate, and we (laughs) would go around and say, guys, watch out, corporate's here. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, that was our version of corporate. So yeah, there's a managing partner who's an owner in each one of the businesses, so someone who really is passionate about whatever the nature of the business is. And And people own, they own different amounts. Paul and Ari, the founders, own some of each one of the businesses. And for many of the businesses, we're like really instrumental. And, um I just want to show you. There's a nice rack of pretzels. Oh, you probably can't quite see it. Bavarian so twisted can't pretzels. See, I,
1: that was a great shot. of. Uh, they were going into the oven, right? Those pretzels were yeah. rolled into a, a rotating rack oven. And uh, now do those pretzels, do they're the Bavarian style? Do they get dipped in lye or anything like that before they bake? Yeah.
3: They sure do. They get dipped hey. in line. I'm going to see if I can give you a little closer picture of it rotating. And this is this is Joe.
1: Hey, Joe. <laughs> hey. And and now we're we're seeing inside a rotating rack oven where the whole rack has gone in, loaded with Bavarian pretzels, spinning around. Getting are you getting a little steam bath going in there? It's a <laughs> blast of a steam and uh, yes. and they're going to bake and come out golden brown because of the light.
3: Right. So another big part of a couple of big important things that are part of the whole Zingerman's world is that we have a central services that's not corporate. It's where IT, HR, marketing um, reside. And the, the whole idea was as an artisan, as a baker, I might not know how yeah. to run a business, accounting, yeah. and we need help. And so Paul and Ari had the thought, we could provide this business support for people who wanna focus on making bread or making pastry or making cheese and let them make that. And then we can advise them and help them so that they can run a successful business.
1: It's like an intellectual commissary that <laughs> provides the support for all the different right. spokes of the wheel, right?
3: <laughs> I think you're the marketing genius, Peter, yeah. It's
1: I wish I could commissary. actualize something the way that you guys did that, cause that's pretty, I mean, it, it makes so much sense. Uh, there are restaurant models like that, right? Lettuce Us Entertain yep. in Chicago, yep. where you know, where they've got uh, so many great chefs, each running their own show, but all tied at the hub to you know a great support team, a management team. It sounds like right. uh, so does so does uh, does each uh, entity, each business entity within the the uh, community, have their own board of directors or advisors that report to a, a sort of a an overs- oversight board or how, how is oversight handled?
3: Yeah, so I would say uh, no. There's a what we call the partners group and that's all the owners and we meet uh, every two weeks. And even though there's very little cross ownership between the businesses, we collaborate on certain issues that we've defined as this group is going to make those decisions. So the partners group really governs the organization. Um okay.
1: So to get into yes. the partners group, you have to be one of the partners of your own the business you're running.
3: Exactly. And then exactly. they all
1: kind of become they share their their accumulated wisdom with each other uh, in what I would imagine could be sometimes very exciting brainstorming sessions.
3: <laughs> yes, or our arguments. Yes. Um, <laughs> another another point thing that I want to share is that. Another important part of the whole Zingerman's thing, and I I brought it up a little bit at the beginning, is giving opportunity to people. So many of the partners fully now more than half of the partners started as hourly employees at Zingerman's, Uh, and right now at the bakery. So I'm now a managing partner, but I started as I made eight dollars an hour, yeah, Uh, and I have a new partner who's worked at the bakery for most of the last twenty years, and he started as a 17 year old working behind the counter in the shop he was a delivery driver so it really happens you know i say to people wow. when i we have a welcome to the bakehouse class and i say you know you never know you might think you you know that you want to be an owner here someday watch what you wish for cuz it could it could happen to you
1: well that's the thing is when you're young and in the beginning of something it's hard to project 20 and 30 years down the road but here you are 30 years down the road from when you started yeah. And you can look back and see it really can happen. If you hang in there and 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 uh, were contribute your energy and creativity to the project, you could ultimately be in a position of authority and responsibility and partnership. So how many, partners, how many partners within one entity? Like the, how many partners within the bakehouse are there that could do those meetings, for instance? Well, <laughs>
3: there, there are two. There are two. Um, most of the businesses, have, so many have two. The delicatessen and Zinger's mail order have three. A few have one. Um, so it really just depends on how people want to do the work. We have another sort of interesting thing. Um, I don't remember how many years ago it is now. I don't know if it's eight. We started having what we call a staff partner because mm-hmm. we're making decisions for the organization at that level. And of course, we don't have all of the perspectives. We only have ours. And being a managing partner is a distinct, it's important, but it's certainly not an all-knowing perspective. So now we have um, four what we call staff partners that sit on yeah. the group and have a vote. Uh, That's great. We actually make decisions by consensus, but um, they, they're part of the consensus. That's great. And, and they're, not, they're not shop stewards, but they're there to just broaden the perspective.
1: Yeah, and they get to bring in the perspective of the, what it's like for the working side the, yep. the who are who are well it's certainly a, uh, in some ways it re- reminds me of that uh, I'll call it the counterculture idea of the co-ops you know all the co-ops yep. I, right. very few of which have survived to today you know, right. but right. but there's but the best of that aspect where at least the, the people who are doing the work the day-to-day frontline workers you know get get the way in on and and bring to the leaders what the needs are what the concerns are you could yep. certainly keep the unions out <laughs> if <you> keep, uh, <laughs> if you
3: i don't know, know about that that's a, that's an interesting topic <laughs> but i i i uh, i'm not sure that that will keep any i mean i think unionism is a movement now and it, who
1: knows Since coming back from big time that's for sure
3: yes you know peter i'm sometimes accused of like people want to know like, what are the bad things? You make it sound like everything is perfect. Well, I know it sounds like
1: one big, happy family.
3: <laughs> no, no. So I just want to make it clear that, uh, yeah, we got we got all the same issues that everybody else has. Yes, yes. you know, in any given day, there's something that's not going right. And uh, it it's challenging sometimes to work in this model because you have all these entrepreneurs who are supposed to cooperate. Sometimes we're pretty independent. We don't want to cooperate. We want to do uh-huh. our own thing. Uh-huh. Um, some people, I think the bakery, four or five former managers of our bake, bread bakery have opened their own bakeries. They didn't want to be partners in Zingerman's. It was t- too much collaborating for that. Uh-huh. Um, Some so, people do
1: have know, to run their own show. They just, yeah. I mean, by nature, they need to have their own thing.
3: Right, right. And so Zingerman's
1: is a stepping stone for them to their own vision.
3: Yes, which is great, which I'm happy about. But I just say, you know, it's not for everybody and are yeah. things that are challenging. In
1: the model, well, there's no no way to run a business without challenges. I mean, it's. <laughs> somebody once, when I had my bakery, somebody said, you know, the the main job of the uh, you know of the the, the head of the, the company is to solve problems. That's your main yeah. job, and, and problems will come. <laughs> so make sure Absolutely. that you budget time for that. Um, yes, but it yes. sounds like you guys have you know well you've had this is the thirtieth year of of the Bakehouse and forty years basically of Zingerman's. So yeah. you guys have been navigating through all of these you know figuring it out.
3: Yeah, we're 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 constantly trying to figure it out absolutely. It's been a, it's been a good run so far and hopefully it will keep going. That's the goal. Well,
1: I want to hear a little bit before we, we run out of time completely. Number one about uh, your you're your, your, you you've told us a little bit about the old school apple pie. In the end the pie looks like what is it like it's it's just a big Dutch apple style pie, or is it a uh, two crusted pie? Or is it no, like it's a, Michigan it's apples? A,
3: right, it's a two crusted pie and it's Michigan apples. But the thing that was interesting about it was uh, trying to use unrendered lard, so real leaf lard that's never been rendered wow. as one of the fats, as the fat that was in the pie. So that's why it was called old school apple pie. Ah,
1: that's interesting. Uh, well, one yeah. thing, Jeremy, is clearly not a kosher deli. We know that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not, not, with, not with all your great bacon. So you know, right. so, so right. being able to use lard and good, you know, leaf lard is, uh, for most pie bakers, know that that's the best crust is made with leaf lard. So so you're, right. so you're basically going for the gold standard of an apple pie.
3: Absolutely, that's ex- that's it exactly. And I think that you know, most of the things that I bring up and say, let's work on, they're about, they're not about doing something kind of, you know which is wonderful, but new and mishmash of, you know, French and Japanese, it's more the traditional things are uh-huh. going going back uh, and instead of innovating forward, innovating by looking back. So yes. that's kind of what I bring.
1: It's kind of a n- nostalgic experience of, you know, of, of the best of the past, not the worst of the best, but the best that we can recall, <laughs> the best memories from <laughs> our past, brought into the yes. present. Yeah, I, exactly. And you can, that's a great business model in itself because people want that. They want to be connected to the to the best memories that they have, there, especially their food memories. Right, uh,
3: exactly.
1: So, so tell me about the, what's this, the Buenos Aires Brownies. Is that, <laughs> yeah. That's another one I saw on, you know, on, the, yeah. on the menu that I heard was yours.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so one day I was at Zingerman's Deli and I was having a meeting with, actually with the marketing people. And uh, Ari walked by and they said to Ari, this was in the early 2000s, Ari, that, that stuff in the fridge, that brown stuff, it was really good. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it's good, isn't it? And then he walked away. And I said to him, what was the brown stuff in the fridge that was really yeah. good? And it was dulce de leche. Oh. So we, right. So we were just on a thing about making, old well, Zingerman's mail order said, make us some different flavors of brownies. I would, honestly, I've never been thrilled about making a million different brownies you know as a baker making a brownie is not you know the most elevated thing as much as we can all enjoy eating them. I
1: love brownies especially if you find one that you really love Then you then you don't want any other kind of brownie except that one.
3: (laughs) Yes it's true but as making it was not it's not why I became a baker but whatever so he said well maybe we could find a way to use that dulce de leche in a brownie so that was a long time ago. Now we sell, and so there's a layer of brownie, layer of dulce de leche, layer of brownie, some um, demerara sugar on top. Yeah. And uh, we sell literally um, tens of thousands of them in a year. And uh, the bakers don't love me for it because it's it's a little bit of a process getting that dulce de leche at the right temperature, the brownie at the right temperature, so that everything just, that you can actually
1: yes. build it. But if it was easy and anybody could do it, then anybody would do it. But you have to have a place like Zingerman's where they're willing to put the extra mileage into to bring out something that's unique and original.
3: Have you been listening to me like on something? Because that's what I say. No, <laughs> no, 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 But yeah, I say it, yeah, it's exactly it. If someone else could do it, they'd yeah. pay to do it, you guys. So. Well, I haven't
1: listened to you, but I feel like you could be my sister, you know, because I, <laughs> you know we're you're, you're talking my language, and I and I love you know, having this conversation with you. So, I want to thank you so much for for sharing us with us first of all the 30th anniversary of Zingerman's Bakehouse and and for all your work there and the and uh and for the work that everybody at Zingerman's is doing to kind of create models, you know, uh uh I would, I don't know what the, the, how to say this but maybe models that can be almost like heroes for other people that want to get into business and go how how can I do this? How can I how can I succeed? Well, here's a model that works. Why don't you go Go take the yep. zing train, you know. <laughs> right,
3: exactly. Well, thank you, Peter. And Peter, I want to thank you because you are a big model for uh, bakers all over the country, and definitely bakers here. I walked around this afternoon, and said, checked in with people about whether they could be on the Zoom, whether they minded, and I said, "Who I was doing, I'm going to do this podcast with Peter Reinhart and eyes wide open, really. So oh, thank, thank you for so all that. that you've done.
1: Well, as you know, we, Pizza Quest is mostly about pizza, but we always say that really pizza is just sort of the, the, the door opener for a bigger th- issue for us, which is the celebration of artisanship wherever we find it. And, and uh, you know, Zingerman's is almost an icon of within the artisan community of bringing out great products and also now, as I'm learning more and more, great business models. For how to do a business in a in a in a in a not a new way, but in a way that works and is humane is is yeah, sustainable humane
3: ethical yeah, yeah ethical, caring, caring yeah, loving yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah I guess ethical yeah. is really the key word in all this I guess and yeah so thank you and please thank uh, Ari and whoever whoever else is you know in the in the leadership team and uh, uh, when you were talking about that leadership team though it made me wonder um, is each business i I'll, I'll, I'll end with this question. Is each business within the, uh, for lack of a better word, constellation of the community of businesses, um, each one is responsible for their own success, financial success. The, the money's not pooled. Like like if somebody's struggling here, the other the other businesses aren't responsible to bail them out. Everyone has to. Each business has to make it on its
2: own.
3: They, we do uh, try to make it on our own. But of course, uh, if somebody has cash and someone else needs a loan, there mm-hmm. are friendly loans. We we cross promote each other. Yeah. Uh, if a business like say say uh, the creamery was young and new, we would try to create uh, items that use their cheese or their gelato to promote it. But I, yeah, basically, well, the finances are, are separate.
1: Well, that's good. It's a, like you say, it's a family. You know, you guys are a family of businesses, and and so you help each other out. But, right. but don't come begging for money to me if you're not cutting it. You get your act together. Right. Yeah. Sure enough, it's a little warmer. Some 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 tough love is spoken at these meetings as well.
3: Well, we you know we all share the same name, and so we want to make sure that the customer experience is really good at each one of the businesses, and and that the employee experience is really good at each one of the businesses. So there is conversation to help one another get better uh,
1: at what we're doing. Well, yes. that's it. Well, well, again, uh, Amy Emerling, thank you so much for being with us today, for uh, sharing the Zingerman story, your story, and I will look for it. I'm going to look for any excuse I can to get out to Ann Arbor and uh, and uh, get together with you in person. And
3: yes, please, you could teach a class, you could have a special dinner at the Roadhouse and promote your book. Come, join us. I would love us.
1: to. That sounds great. Okay. So we just yes. got to figure out a time and a place to get me out there and. Um, maybe you and I can communicate by email, and we'll we'll see if I can get on your schedule for uh, for the class program. That
3: would be great. Thank you, Peter. It's a all right,
1: everybody, and thank all of you for either watching or listening today to Pizza Quest. Uh, I'm Peter Reinhardt. Amy Amberling's been with us. We'll see you on the next episode of Pizza Bye. Quest. Pizza Quest with Peter Reinhardt is powered by SimpleCast.